So Angela, you've been here almost 30 years in Kelowna. Um, you came here in 1989. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 30 years. Um, I moved here when I was 12 uh, mm -hmm. with my mom, who came as a single mom with four children. I was wow. the eldest. Where did you come from? Uh, Edmonton. I was born mm -hmm. in Saskatoon, but we were we'd been in Edmonton for 10 years, and then uh, and then we moved here because my mom's father and sister were moving to Kelowna at the same time from Kamloops and Salmonar, wow. and we we landed up in East Kelowna. Uh, which was a lovely place to land. Mm -hmm. And I started grade six in, well, halfway through grade six at South Kelowna Elementary School. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we kept living in orchards and uh, acreage all throughout my youth. And then my when my mom remarried, uh, we ended up purchasing uh, an orchard in South Kelowna. Mm -hmm. And that's where my parents still are today. They've transitioned to certified organic, uh, but it was a great way to, to, to grow up, uh, nice. moving from an acreage in Edmonton to countryside and acreage in Kelowna. Right. So did your folks give you lots of chores on the farm? <laughs> oh man. Yes. And being the oldest, uh, I definitely received the brunt of right. the chores. So yeah, whether it was doing doing laundry or cutting the grass. Uh, my first job, there was a riding stable, indoor riding stable mm. um, on the property where we rented a home. And uh, I would go and muck out stalls. Um, sometimes I'd get paid in boxes of Smarties when I was 14, which I didn't think was very fair. <laughs> so I, I requested cash. <laughs> but, and what did they say? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I, yeah, I was successful. I was cash, successful. Right? Yeah, but yeah, always. And chopping wood, we actually... Um, our home was heated by a wood stove. Wow. So my brother and I would literally get up at six o'clock in the morning and go out and chop wood to mm. heat the home again in, wow. in the winter. Yeah. If you can believe it. Yeah. So, and if you didn't, well, you just did it. We right? just did it because otherwise it was freeze. cold in January. Wow. <laughs> so, and I'm just curious because I've, I've visited farms, but I've never spent much time on farms. Um, couldn't you... Set the wood out the night before? Um, yeah, you know, we could have. Uh, <laughs> then our, we would have had to have been that resourceful as a 14 and 12-year-old, which I guess we weren't. Or maybe we did, and then we'd run out at night and, and have to go chop wood in the morning right. and <laughs> restock so, the restock the pile. So they kind of gave you the list of chores, and you just had to get it done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And... Um, it, that's an interesting story because most of the people that I talk to uh, are living in the city. And I know you're doing city business, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just want to explore that a little more. Like, what's that like growing up on a farm? And what have you seen uh, change-wise mm -hmm. in Kelowna mm -hmm. as far as the farming and the growth of the city? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think... As a result of, of growing up on acreage most of my life, um, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time outside right. uh, and connecting with nature. And I think that's actually why the work that I do now is really focused on um, on the environment. Yep. Um, but I spent lots of time playing outside and working outside and you know, getting my hands in the dirt and eating fresh fruits and vegetables from the garden or, or off the trees. And, uh, and, and I guess developed a really great amount of respect for for farmers and mm -hmm. farming 
and also um, an appreciation of the importance of our agricultural land to mm-hmm. to our communities. And not only just the fact that it's a place where we can grow food, but it also provides green space and aesthetics and tree coverage and things that make this community beautiful. Right. So tell us what you do today for work. Yeah. So today, um, well, since 2008, I went out on my own in 2006. And then in 2008, I, I co-founded a company uh, called Green Step Solutions. Mm-hmm. And we work with businesses to help them become more profitable by reducing their environmental impacts. Okay. Uh, it's my passion. I knew when I was 18, my purpose in life was to save the world through mm-hmm. business, politics, and music. So uh, I get to I get to live in, and breathe my passion every single day. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. So I've got a bunch of questions. Um, so how does the company make more profits by reducing their environmental impact? Because a lot of people think, well, it's nice to preserve the environment and we have to, but it costs a lot of money to do that. So how do you achieve both at yeah. the same time? Yeah, it's it's a huge myth that um, going green uh, is just another line item on your budget that's just going to cost more. And so when we work with with clients, we identify the opportunities and prioritize what actions and steps they should take based on the ones that are going to provide the quickest payback and the highest return on investment, while also providing measurable and meaningful reduction in environmental impact. So a great example, like one Mm -hmm. of the first things that we would do is look at lighting, for example. So LED lights are 90% more efficient than incandescent lights. Lighting costs about 10% of your average energy bill. So if you're able to reduce your lighting costs by 90%, right there you're shaving off 9% of your total energy bill. And usually that has a 6 to 12 month payback. So your return on that investment is very, very fast. And then you can take those savings and reinvestment, reinvest them in the next step that you're going to take that's also going to provide a good return on investment. So over time, of course, by reducing your costs, mm-hmm. you're able to improve your profits and also the valuation of, of a commercial building, for example, yes. um, by reducing the cost of operating that building over time. So exactly. those are the types of strategies and steps that we, we employ. That's great. And of course, LED lights have come down quite a bit in cost and there's so much variety now. You can get different colors and different formats and so on. Yeah, they have. And that was, you know, a lot of, you know, five, ten years ago, um, you were limited. They always had that very kind of cool light. The CFLs took a long time to kind of go come to full brightness. But LEDs now, you can get them in warm and cool. They can be provide ambiance. They can provide that natural lighting feel. They come in almost every standard and they do come in every standard design um, or, or, or architecturally pleasing design that you might like from mm-hmm. a, from a lighting design perspective. Um, and they're going to save you a ton of money and not only on energy, but also on labor for it, like things like hotels and places that have a lot of lighting. Right. You don't have to replace them as often because they last 10 times longer. Exactly. So, so many benefits and that, you know, the list goes on and on when it comes to sustainability initiatives that, that cost less to operate, that improve the, the comfort and the health and, and the well-being of the people within a building or within a space, um, 
and and also reduce environmental impact. So if we could do those kinds of things in every business and every mm-hmm. community, uh, we would be moving quickly towards tackling things like climate change and mm-hmm. and all the all the issues that are going along with that. Right. So how does it work? A company calls you and yeah. says, we want to try to clean up our act when it comes to the environment, then we want to save some money. Yeah. So you go in, you do an assessment. Is yeah. That- yeah. Well, we have a few different um, approaches um, depending on what type of um, support the business is looking for. So we have certification programs that actually do an assessment uh, let you know where you're at, where you have room for improvement. And if you achieve a certain level of performance, then you get a, a sustainability certification. That's mm-hmm. one way. We have a training program called the Fast Track to Sustainability uh, that takes employees through a process of um, identifying where the opportunities are, creating a strategy and action plan, prioritizing that for return on investment. Uh, and then really our goal with that training program is to empower and build capacity within the teams so mm-hmm. they can go on and continue that work themselves and you don't have to keep paying us as consultants. We'd like to work ourselves out of a job um, right. one day. Um And we do energy assessments and waste audits. Uh, We do a lot of work with local government and utilities um, all around um, waste reduction, energy conservation. And in this region, actually, in the Thompson Okanagan, um, we've been working with the Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association, who has taken an incredible amount of leadership and has recently had this region certified as a biosphere certified destination and are now working with a number of the communities, including Kelowna and Tourism Kelowna and organizations within our community to help advance sustainability at a regional level. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of other communities across Canada and around the world are starting to take notice. And it's really cool to see that leadership right here in our own backyard. Yeah. I've got a question for you about recycling. All right. (laughs) So I've got, uh, I got a notice on my bin. And it said, don't put... um, (laughs) Ziploc bags and don't put grocery bags. Mm-hmm. So I, it's my fault because my partner, she's got the canvas bags. And every time I get into the grocery store, <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot. Yeah. And I've got a full cart, right? So, but, I mean, what what is it like? I, I was kind of surprised to find out that you actually cannot recycle many items that we use every day. Right. Yeah. And it is complicated. Um and it's changed recently. So, mm. you know, I'm a huge fan of recycling and and waste reduction initiatives. Yes. Um, a lot of things now, actually, there are some pilot programs happen, happening through Recycle BC. There's a great resource um, on Recycle BC's website, the Regional District of Central Okanagan as well, will direct you there to show you what you can recycle and where you can recycle it. So um, there are a number of things that can be picked up in your curbside bin. Mm-hmm. Um, but some things like plastic bags now, there's been a change in the past couple of years that need to be taken to the bottle depot. But okay. styrofoam can be taken to the bottle depot. And now they're allowing things like chip bags and some other things that haven't traditionally mm-hmm. been recycled, recyclable, um, or at least not in this community. You can take those to the bottle depot. Instead of, there's a term out there called wish cycling that you, you hope it's going to be able to be recycled. <laughs> so you throw it in your recycling, hoping that it can be recycled, but actually... I've 
toured the Cascades recycling facility here yeah, in Kelowna. Well, it just goes in the garbage because yeah. like you should see there, there are literally like there's an assembly line of, of bags of stuff going through and people pulling stuff out. But if it's too contaminated, i.e. it has things that can't be recycled, it just gets chucked because, yeah. the, you know, the labor required to go through. So it's really important for people to source separate properly yes. and to understand you get those little calendars from the regional district. You can put them on your you know, wherever your recycling station is right. in your home, train everybody in the house on what you shall recycle. Yes. Um, but ultimately, that, you know, recycling is the last thing we should be doing with our waste. There's a hierarchy of, the, right. of the R's, right? So we want to reduce consumption in the first place. So even if you have to, sometimes I'll have, I'll let big people wait in line and I go to the car and I get my bags and I right. come back in or yeah. I like have my arms and purse filled with stuff. I will do that. <laughs> Good job. Good what, job. What about glass? Like glass that is not a returnable bottle. That's not supposed to go in there either. No, so. it's not. That needs to go to the depot. You can take okay. it to the depot. So, yeah. um, unfortunately, the glass, that we used to have a glass recycling plant in Lavington yeah. um, that shut down a number of years ago. Um so it, a lot of it actually gets stockpiled and used as aggregate um, mm-hmm. in our landfill, which, you know, I think that's better than going into our hillsides and mining aggregate to be used for for um, lining the landfill and other uses. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but you can, you can divert that so it's not ending up getting buried, really. Right. And it's one of the most benign things. If you if it does get buried, not to say that people shouldn't recycle their glass, but yeah. it does. It's not toxic. It's it it basically goes back to from right. whence it came. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sand. So I'm trying to switch the family over to like glass containers that are mm-hmm. permanent. You know, for storing food and stuff like that. The blocks. I yes. I don't like them because they're hard to wash. Yeah. And it's so easy to just throw them out, which yeah. you shouldn't do. It is good for you. Um. Thank you. <laughs> so, but. Is it, wouldn't it be simpler if the big truck comes and took all those things to the bottle depot instead of all of us getting in our cars, burning CO2, mm-hmm. and driving mm-hmm. to the It's depot. a really good question. Um, one of the things that's happening, which is interesting, um, we're doing some contract work right now with the Regional District of Okanagan Smilkameen um, to help um, businesses recycle better. Mm-hmm. Um, because China has basically shut down its borders to poor quality recycling products coming from North America and other parts of the world. Cause that's usually, that's where we sort of dumped our crappy, not very well sorted recycling before, but they're trying to do their own recycling now. And so mm-hmm. their capacity to handle our stuff, our junk. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we would actually ship junk from North America. Oh to yeah. China. Like, like truck or like. boatloads of paper, literally going yeah. to China and then getting, getting, recycled there so they basically shut down unless it's high quality like very uncontaminated stuff um we've got to deal with it ourselves now and so we're being posed with new challenges um local governments are to do kind of what you said like in in some jurisdictions they do this where you've got your bin for glass your bin for plastic your bin for paper your bin for aluminum that creates uh, it's source separation instead of, you know, it's more convenient because mm-hmm. we're kind of lazy human beings. It's more convenient to just throw everything in your blue bin and, and right. put it out. But at the end of the day, things don't get properly recycled. So there you, we may see uh, another transition in how we recycle things. I'm not sure if it will happen here or when it will happen, but 
you might yeah. go to that where you're source separating and then it's getting picked up in those special little bins. Right. So you've been with the company since 2006 and it's your company. Yeah. So I went out on my own, quit my job on March 31st, 2006. Wow. You're really good with this. <laughs> Pierced my nose that day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and was it, it was my were the two events related? Uh, it was sort of like, like you know, it, it was, it was like, I'm going out on my own now and it's my own company and I can pierce my nose and nobody can tell me that they don't like it. My clients don't like it. My previous job before this was working for a company called, uh, it was a, actually now, then I didn't know because I was only like 24 and it didn't really, the term didn't exist, but it was a tech startup. It was one of Kelowna's first tech startups. It was wow. called, actually it started in Edmonton and then came here. It was called Geotivity. And we manufactured um, wastewater flow ma- uh, monitoring equipment mm-hmm. that basically got installed into sewer and stormwater systems throughout North America to measure the rates of sewage and stormwater moving through the systems. And then we developed software that enabled local governments and engineers to um, get real-time live data. We were the first company in North America to use SIM cards in the flow monitors to transmit data to a server so we could alarm real time and send an alarm to a, you know, sewer manager's cell phone in Indianapolis, where I lived for a year, actually, um, and tell them that their sewer was about to overflow and exactly where, and they could send a vac truck and suck it out before it spewed into the river and they got a fine. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) that was pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. But you were celebrating by getting your nose pierced. Yes. Yeah. Well, I told my boss when he hired me, um, he's one of the, he's actually still, he's local here. He started a few other, few other companies since then. Um, he, he said, well, where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, I'll be leaving this company to start a business to save the world. And he sort of left. (laughs) And then I gave them 18 months notice. Um, I was their top performing kind of sales and business development person. So I knew they weren't going to get rid of me. <laughs> um, and I gave them 18 months notice and they tried, you know, tried to do a few things to keep, keep me around. But I was pretty determined. I ended up leaving after four year work anniversary. Right. Luke Mankus is a realtor with Remax Kelowna. He loves what he does. We asked Luke if he had any regrets about moving here in 2011. And he always says, yeah, one regret. And that is, he didn't move here sooner. When Luke came here, he didn't know anyone. He didn't know the neighborhoods or anything or anyone besides his daughter, who was six years old at the time. So he knows what it's like. Now, he's an expert and has helped well over 100 single people, couples, families, and investors with their real estate needs in the Okanagan. If you're new to our beautiful city, Luke can help you get connected with great lawyers, dentists, carpenters, landscapers, swimming pool installers, you name it. And whether you're new to Kelowna or not, Luke knows real estate. He can help you find a great property, negotiate a good deal, and hold your hand all the way through the process until the day you get your shiny new set of keys. Luke is known as a no-pressure kind of guy. He's had clients where it took even a year or more to get them into a property. He just doesn't believe in rushing things. On the other hand, when you decide it's time to act, he's diligent, and he'll work day and night until the job is done. Give Luke Make Us a call or a text message at any time, 778-215-4273. Again, that's 778-215-4273, 778-215-4273 to chat with Luke about real estate.
So, um, Green Tech, you started in 2006, right? Green Step. Green Step. Green Step, yeah. <laughs> I said just Green a, Tech. Oh, I thought I said Green Step. Okay. <laughs> green Step, you started in 2006. Was it just you? And how many employees do you have today? Yeah. So, yeah, when I started on my own, it was under what is now my hold co called Tigris Ventures. Um, whole other story, but why I called it Tigris, my spirit animal. Um, Tell, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, yeah. So when I was working for Geotivity, actually, I I was and still am a workaholic. I was literally working 18 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I was living in Indianapolis. I drove 10,000 kilometers a month um, to meet with clients throughout eastern, eastern U.S. and eastern Canada. Wow. It was insane. It was really insane. And I would, like, literally sleep two to four hours a night and get up and start again wow. every day. Um and I was one day driving back home to Indianapolis um, from upstate New York. And it was like two or three o'clock in the morning. I was driving outside of Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I would often like do the head bob thing. And I was mm-hmm. drinking like three Vente lattes and three Red Bulls. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. trying to stay awake. Be a little bit dangerous. wasn't very healthy. I don't recommend it to anybody. But I was only 25. So I, <laughs> I was still you young. I could take it. Um, and uh, I actually fell asleep. Like, I fully fell asleep behind the wheel. Wow. And in my sleep, I saw a white Bengal tiger running through the air towards my windshield with its blue eyes glaring at me and its teeth, like, bared. And it was just <laughs> running towards me. And you know when you're having a nightmare and you try to scream and nothing comes out? Well, I screamed so loud. I woke myself up. And I had drifted into the oncoming lane and there were two semi trucks coming straight towards my little Ford Focus. So I swerved, I get goosebumps when I tell the story. I swerved over into the, into my own lane. And literally that vision of this white Bengal tiger, which I have never had an affinity with cats before it saved my life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I talked to my mom who talked to a friend who is clairvoyant. And she said that was Angela's spirit animal revealing itself to her. So I did some digging and research into um, the white Bengal tiger and the female Bengal tiger. And uh, the female Bengal tiger is at once a formidable hunter and an extremely nurturing mother. And I thought, you know what, that's a really good analogy for the work that I want to do in the world. Mm -hmm. The world is in need of aggressive nurturing. And so I called my company Tiger's Ventures. Right. That so. is a great story. I'm glad I asked it. That's you a really good story because it ties in with everything. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. So did you stop with the crazy driving schedule after I, that? Yeah, I did. Well, so um, when I gave my 18 months notice, I decided I could sort of take off the, take my foot off the gas pedal a little bit as far as how hard I was working. And I was also, I kind of figured out like the system, the cookie cutter system that I needed, the work I needed to do, I had an assistant by that time mm-hmm. in order to, you know, achieve my target, still be the top performing salesperson, but not like totally burn myself out. Cause I kind of burned myself out. Yeah. As what, so, what would you play in the car when you're um, on these long drives? Oh, a lot of Jack Johnson, um, mm. Ani DeFranco, um, Nora Jones. And then I would sometimes sing. I'm a singer songwriter as well. So I would sometimes, um, I always had my laptop open because before then, before there wasn't really, I didn't have GPS in the car. It wasn't a standard thing, but I'd have Microsoft streets and trips open on my laptop <laughs> okay. so that I could just like kind of self navigate. Right. Um, 
And sometimes I'd record my own songs as I was singing. Oh, neat. And like in the well, middle of the night in the rain. It's funny listening to them. You can hear the rain and you could like, yeah. Very sad, cool. Sad songs of love and loneliness when I was in my <laughs> 20s. <laughs> so no, no podcast, no audio books. Um, no. I think you know what? I would new. listen to Zig Ziglar. <laughs> okay. Like, like, cause that's or, or uh, CDs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Zig Ziglar. Great. Good stuff. <laughs> well, now Audible. It's awesome. Oh, I love Audible. Yeah. Me too. Love it. So, well, since we're on the topic, what's uh, what are you listening to right now? Uh, on 10X. Um, With uh, Grand Cardinal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. So He's very intense energy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm not sure if I like him or not. This is the first. It was recommended by my friend um, Curtis right. Stone, the urban farmer in Kelowna. Right. Um, I don't know if I like him or not or if I like his, like, He's a little bit intense. He can be intense. a little hard to take. The book gets better. I found the, the okay. start of it a little bit repetitive. Yeah. But he gets into details and stuff, and he's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, he's very intense, but. Totally. And, you know, he's he's it, the underlying, I would say, parts of the underlying message message are good. Yeah. 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 I'm looking forward to Yeah. I, I, I'm enjoying it so far. I just don't know if I like the whole philosophy or not. Right. <laughs> well, you're already going full out by the sounds of it. Yeah. And he's like just. Multiply everything you're doing by ten. Yeah. Okay. Which for some of us, maybe not a great. Yeah, I think idea. it's. I'm sort of like I'm kind of already doing that. So <laughs> I might be able to amp it up a little bit, but. Right. Okay. So, we were talking about your growth yes. from 2006 to today. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when I started Green Step, so that was two years after um, after Tigris evolved, and I we we took on a first contract with Cisco Colonna. And when I say we, so I we did it started with Tigris, and mm-hmm. then um, my former business partner uh, joined the team as a consultant. I hired her as a consultant, and then as I started recognizing through our work with Cisco Colonna, helping them to develop a sustainability strategy, um, that there was really a need and a niche. And you know, there's KPMG and Deloitte and Touche and all these big companies that will help big companies do sustainability. And mm-hmm. they've all, but there was nobody helping the small and medium-sized business. And that's 90% of all businesses in North America. And I thought, holy crap, if somebody doesn't help them, like the world will never be saved. <laughs> right. yeah. I better do that. Um, so uh, started uh, invited my my ne- then co-founder to join me in creating Green Step Solutions, and um, so it was just the two of us to start. We both had other streams of income coming in, so we didn't pay ourselves for a while, but we slowly built this company. And uh, then we then we got some big contracts um, with funding through Live Smart BC. We were actually contracted by the Kelowna Chamber mm-hmm. to deliver business energy assessments throughout the region and by the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. And that was really what took us from, you know, a two-person not really paying ourselves a wage to, like, a seven-person company. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, really took us to the next level. But I was a bit wary of, you know what, this government funding isn't going to last forever, and Mm -hmm. I don't want to build a business that's dependent on government funding. So we started um, looking at how we could take the tools that we developed in our consulting practice and productize them through software and Mm -hmm. um, now a training program. So uh, we actually acquired a software company in 2013, 
um, which uh, I'm actually now partnering with another with another gentleman in Kelowna um, to to build that out. It helps businesses measure their carbon footprint mm-hmm. and identify opportunities for reduction and cost savings. And we also licensed the world's largest sustainability certification program for the tourism industry because I thought certification is another way of of being able to to create a repeatable and scalable business model that sure. will actually have impact and make a difference. Because I really. I really do want to have a huge impact in businesses. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'll be limited by just consulting. So software and now our training, which is going online soon. Uh, so we can deliver it throughout North America and around the world. And then our certification programs. Right. So can these tourism facilities or companies um, advertise that they've met a certain standard? Yes. Yes, they can. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a huge, it's an important part of it. You know, we I actually was having this conversation with one of my team members this morning, like the certification, you know, other than like certified organic, Forest Stewardship Council, um, Fair Trade, like those people know what those are now. And they've taken decades for people to know what they are. My certification program might never have that kind of um, or certification programs never have that kind of recognition. We were talking this morning that it's really, yes, it adds credibility to your sustainability story, that somebody else has come in and verified the things that you're doing and the claims that you're making. But really the process of certification is about identifying where you've got missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I want to build certification programs and continue to enhance them in ways that actually not only identify those gaps, but then provide support and guidance in helping these businesses to tackle these challenges sure. and reap the savings and reap the benefits and measure those and celebrate them Um because right now, as I said before, there's still quite a myth and a misunderstanding, misunderstanding that um, sustainability and green just costs more. But yeah. um, if I can help these businesses measure their impacts and their cost savings and start mm-hmm. getting those messages out there, I think uh, we'll start to get some more traction. Sure. And the reason I was asking about the advertising is because um, myself included, I know a lot of people when we're trying to pick a vacation, mm. something like that is impressive. Yes. You see that, you know, this company or this resort or whatever it is, is kind of taking care of things. Yes. And they're striving to improve things. Then I might say, mm, it's a toss up between these two. Exactly. And I'll go support them. Yes. Which would further the efforts. Yes. Right? I say that all the time um, when I get asked, well, why should we do this? Like, what's the, what's the marketing benefit? Well, mm. I say that exact same thing. If someone is looking at your hotel or your attraction or your winery and another one and deciding which one they want to go to, but yours has this really compelling story that connects with the values of the person that's looking. And all of us have, you know, we have different values, but I think most of us want to do the right thing. Sure. So if, you know, somebody's saying, you know, we do everything organic, we're taking care of the planet, or we we donate a bunch of money to causes, like, that's a compelling story. And if the prices are are the same or about the same and and the experience looks like it's going to be about the same and the reviews and ratings we're na- people naturally gravitate to those things that connect with their values so it's it's really important i think for businesses to really communicate what they're already doing there's a new term that's come out in tourism but i think it applies to everyone it's called green hushing and so many businesses are guilty of green hushing. They're they feel like oh you know my customers don't really care about this or they don't they they might not actually want 
to, they might not like to know that we're doing all these things because they don't mm. care about the environment or they don't care about these causes, but mm. most people do. And I think businesses lose out on a huge marketing opportunity when they don't have a section on their website about the good things that they're doing environmentally or socially yeah, or culturally um, or, or sharing that in their marketing and their advertising. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So you said your three passions are the environment, music. Is that right? Uh, saving the, the world through business, politics, and music. Saving the world through business, <laughs> politics, and music. So I know you've uh, served on city council. Yes. Tell us briefly about that. What was the years? Are you yeah. still on? No, no. So um, I actually, well, I started running for office when I was 23. It was the first time I ran for office. And I ran for the Green Party um, hmm. of British Columbia in the Okanagan Mission riding. I'd originally called to see how I could help. And uh, I talked about my public speaking abilities and my organizing and marketing and blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to help. And they said, well, we actually don't have a candidate. Would you be interested in running? <laughs> and I, I knew I wanted to do politics. And I was so excited. I said, I'm just going to think about it. But I knew the moment I got off the phone, I was like, holy crap, I'm running for office. <laughs> right. It was like two weeks before the election or something. It was like I had like a few days to get my paperwork done. And um, I... I had the opportunity to um, do the Chamber of Commerce all candidates debate. Lorraine McGrath was the president of the chamber at the time. Mm-hmm. And after the after the event, she came up to me and said, you know what? You were the most well-spoken candidate out of all of those seasons, politicians and politicians. You should, you know, she encouraged me, which was, so thank you, Lorraine, if you're out there for doing that. Um, and then I ran uh, five more times. I ran, so total three times provincially for the Green Party, mm-hmm. served on the Green Party of BC Council. Twice for the Green Party of Canada, served on the Green Party of Canada Council. And then, um, you know, I never ran. I honestly, I knew I wasn't going to win. I ran because I wanted to be part of the discourse. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to challenge the other politicians and people to think a little bit differently about green policies. The things that I've been sharing with you now, how being green is actually about being more uh, economically responsible and socially progressive and environmentally friendly. So, um when I, when I went back to my supporters and said, look, like the chances of me winning in a federal or provincial election today, and this was 10, 15 years ago, to 10, more than 10 years ago, 13 years ago, um, are slim. What can I do in between elections to help move green policy forward in our community? And everybody said, you should run for council. So I ran for council. I really knew nothing about, um, I to be honest, when I ran, I didn't know very much about what um, like what I was getting myself into. I didn't even know I would get paid, to be honest. And mm-hmm. um, when I won a seat on city council in 2008, somebody said something like, well, how much are you going to get paid? I was like, I'm going to get paid? <laughs> awesome. Um, and it was it was an amazing experience. Yeah. It was really, um, it was challenging because I had been so used to um, just being able to go out there and, and advocate and rally around things that I wanted to see changed. But when you're an elected official, you have to, you're, you have a different level of accountability and responsibility to really listen to, um, to to citizens that are coming out and sharing their thoughts and opinions. And I found that part really challenging, even though I didn't necessarily personally support or believe in something that a citizen was um, coming and sharing. I felt obligated to consider sure. that opinion yeah. when I was making decisions. And I think I lost some supporters as a result of trying to take a balanced approach without 
um, letting go of my own values and foundations. So right. not wanting, I, I did never want to feel like, you know, I was selling out or just like never wanted to become a career politician. Like I want to make a difference, but doing it in a way that is, is fair and balanced. Um, mm-hmm. so that was tough. Um, but a really good experience. Yeah. And it sounds like you were very, uh, intelligent, driven, you know, hardworking, self-starting person. And, uh, for people like that, it's a little, <laughs> A little bit challenging to take the opinions of other people uh, on a constant <laughs> basis, which is basically your job, right? Yeah. At that point, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, how would you uh, save the world through music? Oh yeah, I'm still working on figuring that out. But um, originally, I I thought, and I still think I will probably do this. Um, I just turned forty this year, so I've always said in my forties, that's when I'll start on this music thing. Um, is to write songs for children mm-hmm. and um, maybe write some accompanying children's books. My mom's a brilliant illustrator uh, and Perfect. and do some kind of like song and book kind of a thing. I, I haven't quite figured that out yet. Um, but recently I've been uh, hanging out with Paul Byrne a little bit mm-hmm. um, and he's written a musical called The Plutocrats, uh, which, is, um, which is really kind of a... It's a cool approach to addressing a social or political issue that I hadn't considered before. Mm-hmm. Even though I've done tons of musical theater, I was Cinderella and Cinderella in Kelowna Theater, Kelowna Society, like when I was 18 um, and did tons of other musicals. I had never thought of that as a way of telling a story or, or um, using music just in a different format rather than just writing a song like What About a Musical? So that's mm-hmm. kind of... Interesting. Maybe when I'm maybe in my fifties, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll take a lot of time. <laughs> so what what is the plutocrats about? What's the message? Um, it's it's the the message there. So I've I've actually performed some of the, uh, some of the songs um, with um, Paul's kind of going around and doing little uh, house gigs and performing the songs with, okay. with musicians, which is really cool. Uh, and it's really about how like Wall Street and big money is responsible for a lot of the kind of suffering in the world. And he, mm-hmm. he often does a preamble like, you know, you know, 10 people own more than, I can't remember the stat, you know, more than 90% of all the assets in the world. Like it's crazy, yeah. the amount of control that's concentrated in such few hands. Um, and so that's sort of his, that's his passion. That's where, um, where he's coming from and mm-hmm. kind of the message he's trying to, to communicate, um, through, through music. So, yeah. Well, it's yeah. cool. It's Very interesting. Cool. Yeah. Angela, uh, thank you so much for your time. Today. Thank you. Who would you like to nominate to come on the show oh, in the future? So, so someone nominated you who that. I forget. Yeah. Um, oh, I know my who? friend, uh, David Saltman. David Saltman. Okay. He's a newbie. And what does he do? Uh, well, he's semi-retired right now, but he has been taking up the cause of build and among a number of things. He's he's not really retired. Um, taking up the cause of, of leading what is currently called the Sustainability Leadership Council, which is a number of thought leaders from academia and business and um, industry and not-for-profits um, around... Uh, creating some cohesion and momentum to move Kelowna forward to this vision of sustainability. Nice. Um, he's a really cool guy from California. Uh, he's done some cool things. 
Awesome. That's great. So do you have a minimum client size and how do people find out about your services? Yeah. Um, well, you can go to greenstep.ca. Uh, mm-hmm. We're also on Facebook. And, you know, we we don't really have a minimum client size. We've worked with, we have, with our software and our certifications, we have um, options for small businesses and we've worked with businesses that have um, thousands of employees. So um, really, we'd like to cater our solutions to the client. Very cool. All right. Thanks again. Thank you.